This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Hello and welcome to Reimagine Law. We've already had an episode where we spoke about the theory behind corporate social responsibility. And here today, we're joined by two fabulous guests, Kaylee and I, to talk about how environmental social governance and corporate social responsibility and all the related areas works in practice. Thank you, Fran. Today, we are joined by two incredible guests, Carol and Robert. Carol, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thanks, Kaylee. Hi, everybody. My name is Carol Mahegan. I am the Responsible Business Manager at the international law firm Reed Smith. Um, I manage and look after all our community outreach projects, supporting vulnerable areas in the community, our diversity, equity and inclusion programmes, supporting young people from across the age range of 5 to 18 plus, and our uh, fundraising activities, which are supporting various charities with awareness and much needed funds. I'm Robert Barnard Weston. Um, thanks to the wonderful Wendy Bonham Carter, I've uh, been named the grandfather of sustainability. But the brief backstory on that is I started in what was to become corporate social responsibility consulting in the late 80s. Um, we made it up as we went along. There were one or two other people also doing so. Uh, John Elkington, who has just recently been named the godfather of sustainability, was in ahead of me, but few others were. Uh, we made it up as we went along. Uh, I basically had a hand in, I believe, top-down change needs to meet bottom-up change. So we did consulting top-down with governments and super-governmental bodies like the UN, the OECD, and the EU, uh, public, private, third sector uh, clients. Bottom-up change was more about social and eco-enterprises. We started Eco Hotel, which we've just recently sold. Uh, it's been a great success in many, many ways, thanks to my wife, um, an eco-artisan bakery company called The Thoughtful Bakery. Uh, in our hometown of uh, Bath, and a few other things, a monster composting company. So if you have any monsters, we can compost them. Uh, and, and now in my dotage, I'm, uh, I've closed Groundswell, my, my consultancy of 30 years or so, and I'm doing top-down in the form of Transform ESG, which is another level of um, integrated communications in ESG, internal and external meets interpersonal and media-based dialogue replaces monologue and so on and then the bottom up is called loca which is local low carbon and loca the spanish for crazy lady so it's based on what my mama taught me thank you guys both for taking the time to be on the podcast today um but just to kick off um in the last episode about corporate social responsibility we discussed sort of the theoretical aspect Robert, would you like to kick us off by defining to our listeners the difference between CSR, which stands for Corporate Social Responsibility, and ESG, which is Environmental Social Governance, and how maybe these two terms are different? <laughs> I have controversial ways of expressing my answer to that one, and I have simpler, perhaps less controversial ways, but um, my take on it is that when we started in this game in the late 80s, there were no terms for it. Um, we kind of made it up as we went along and invented what was to become CSR Consulting. One of the problems we had with that was people tended to think the S meant there was no E. Now I'm seeing people thinking it's all about E and not doing so much about the S. Uh, I think it never works unless you have the E and the S. What I like about ESG as a term actually is that it is very explicit about environment and society. And it's very, very clear about governance. And we don't improve our position 
in environmental and social responsibility unless we start with good governance. Thank you, Robert. Um, and now, Carol, you said uh, you were working at Reed Smith. How does your firm define CSR? And is there any one aspect that your firm is focusing on? Thanks. Um, so, yeah, first of all, um, the firm defines CSR. We have actually changed from CSR because people found it confusing, the term CSR. They were confused corporate and community. Um, in different ways. Uh, and so we decided to go to responsible business. Also, by going to a term that was more of a, a, um, a more popular name that people could understand, uh, for us, responsible business is all about doing the right thing. Um, it's also very important to our people. Uh, they want to help and support our external communities. And it's also part of our culture and our core values. So it comes under, responsible business for us uh, comes into various different elements of areas. Um, we also know that a lot of people join our firm because of our responsible business elements. Um, and they cover things like pro bono, community volunteering outreach projects, diversity, equity and inclusion programs and fundraising activities. Um, as for if there's one aspect that our firm focuses on, I would say no. Um, we definitely have different focus areas within responsible business. Um, but just to give you an example with regards to our diversity, equity, inclusion, we decided um, last, a couple of years ago, um, after the George Floyd incident and other um, incidents that were happening within the black community, that our senior stakeholders in the firm and lots of other people in the firm came together and put together a, com a committee, almost like a community, um, to put in a, a new plan about what we want to do within the sort of the racial equity part of RDE&I. So we then came up with our racial equity action plan. And the broad objectives for that is to look at our well-being and learning, our pro bono and community engagement, our, our client engagement and collaboration. And what we're hoping to do by 2024 is to have 50% increase of black lawyers globally within the firm and 30% increase of black leadership amongst our, our lawyers and business professionals, again, globally by 2024. That's amazing, Carol. Thank you so much. Um, that sort of leads us on perfectly to the next question, which is how has corporate social responsibility and environmental social governance however firms are defining those values. Um, how has it become a board level agenda issue? And is it enough of an issue in most law, law firms that we see them at? What Carol just said is a perfect example of both how one, one very comprehensive and effective way of doing the how, and also quite clearly the why, you know, the, the whole thing about what Carol just said, and as you say, it led into this question beautifully, is that you know, companies are made of people, markets are made of people, communities are made of people, you know, um, adversely impacted stakeholder groups are some, some of them made of people, others are made of the more than human world, as the great philosopher David Abram rightly says. But you know, we have to, we're people, we have to, we have to focus on how do you change heads and Arts, how do you affect behavior? You affect behavior by affecting information available, understanding of that information. And you know, there's a there's a 
there's a hierarchy that goes from data to information to knowledge to wisdom and that's also an intergenerational thing it's also an intergender thing it's also actually it's an interspecies thing the indigenous wisdom of most cultures will tell you that the creature teachers can show you one of the million examples would be you know look at the robin the robin is about persistence and uh, diligence you know okay the snow's coming down but i'm going to stick it out and i'm going to you know there's a lot of difficulty around race as carol said but let's just get our heads down talk to each other stick it out find a way through and solve the problem so you know there's a lot to be learned and done differently by first listening to people finding out what they feel is unjust finding out what they feel is suboptimal and working out win 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 ways to solve those problems really interesting robert just to come in on that um it's about collaboration really and that listening piece is so important before um, a company a firm a not-for-profit whatever it is decides how they're going to implement whatever we want to call it responsible business um or csr esg yeah Carol, from a law firm perspective, how can students going into the workforce, how can they recognize that, you know, um, the company that they're applying to or taking a job at really has these values at their core? Yeah, I think with what I've always said to students in the past when I've been doing events is, you know, looking at firms' websites, we they all sing the same song. They all say they do this, they do that, they're great at this, they're great at that. But to really find out whether the firm does what they say, you know, does do they walk the walk or just talk the talk, you have to visit, you have to get involved in the events that they host, you've got to network. Networking is a great way to really find out whether the culture and the core values of what the firm is talking about on their website, they really mean what they're talking about. I've met many, many students in in in-person events back in 2019 and you know pre-COVID and it's always they've always been extremely grateful to be able to speak to somebody who does what I do responsible business because they know that a lot of firms don't have the representation as in in front of them you know it's something that they do talk about in their conversations etc but having someone who actually is actively doing that role gives them more hope that that firm is actually you know, going to progress, going to be the right fit for them, is doing the things that they are keen to do, which is helping, supporting, giving back, you know, bringing up the, the future generations behind them and being role models as well. Um, but they want to see that in front of them so that they can lead, you know, be led by examples, by led by, you know, the senior, the stakeholders, the people in the firm who make a difference, but also by the people in general. And I see, I think that by students making sure that they do that, do their, their groundwork, you know, meet the people, talk to the people, follow people on LinkedIn and, and other business social media sites, they will get a better understanding. I wonder if there's something in there, Carol, as well, about genuinely being interested and evaluating decisions you know who do they work with who do they collaborate from who do they take their money from <laughs> particularly topical this week um you know I'm, I'm quite interested as well as what students should look out for um almost what they should look out for um you know what are the red flags that might exist within different organizations so i mean we all talk about commercial awareness we always talk about you know what is happening in the world 
you know, what's the news? What are firms doing to help support places that are in conflict, places, uh, you know, refugees who are coming from uh, different countries where they need support, they need access to somewhere where they can uh, be helped, they can start their life again, etc. And I think with students being commercially aware, you know, making sure they're up to date with the news and then, you know, talking in, you know, when they get the opportunity to talk to people in law firms and asking, what are you doing about X, Y, Z, you know, then they can really get an informed decision as to whether that is uh, a firm that is really trying to make a difference and not just all about the money. It's not just about the clients. Um, it's about collaborating further afield. So yes, you know, our we are a business to business. Um, you know, law firms, that's what we do. That's the bread and butter. We need the money to come in. We need the clients. But we also need to re re realise that we have communities to support and we have other people that need our help as well. So that's why for us, again, pro bono is a massive, massive area of commitment that we have globally um, because it's, again, the term giving back, a lot of people like to use, it's giving back to those people who need the help, who can't pay for that help, who haven't got that support elsewhere. Thank you, Carol. That was really insightful, especially Fran bringing up the red flag aspect. I guess that's the best way to summarize to students how um, going into employment, how to spot things that might not be right for them. Do you have any takeaway about how to get more involved in corporate social responsibility or if their firm doesn't, the firm they work in now doesn't have a corporate social responsibility division or responsible business division, how they could maybe approach and bring it up as an issue that they really care about? Uh, well, I can give you a couple of examples of places where I think the new generation of up and coming students, you know, law students who are going to be building careers in the profession could, could start to make even more difference. Um, and one is listen to people like Carol, because Carol is actually one of the furthest down the road in the profession or any profession that I'm aware of. What they're doing there is both effective and genuine. She made the point, you know, about walking the talk. Um, one of the great academics with whom I've worked in this field uh, is a specialist in employee engagement and corporate responsibility. And that's what Carol has been talking about. And he is uh, Bruce Rayton at uh, Bath University. And he was able to prove that, you know, if you've got engaged employees uh, in the first quartile versus the fourth quartile of employee engagement, you are looking typically order of magnitude. And he has the numbers to prove this. Um, working with some great people. I know quite a few of his team and the corporate uh, partners with whom the research was carried out. And uh, typically first quartile for employee engagement versus fourth, you're looking at about double the net profits, two and a half times the revenue growth rates and 20 plus times the employee driven innovation. Now, if you go to a firm like Carol's, you're gonna get that sort of performance from people commercially, as she was saying. And if you don't, you're not. And if you're in a firm that isn't doing that, you wanna say, hey, does the CFO know about this? Because if not, she needs to be spoken with about how we can improve our commercial performance by virtue of getting our corporate responsibility improved. And I'd just like to add to what Robert was saying in regards to um, the employee engagement. So my remit, the areas that I look after, um, are our community volunteering outreach projects supporting some of the vulnerable areas of the community. I diversity, equity, inclusion programs that support students across the age range from, from five 
way up to 18 plus um, and our fundraising activities which support charities in making sure their awareness and their funds are constantly being you know uh, filled so they can support the wider community and and also I've mentioned pro bono as well which isn't actually my real but it's part of the social business and our, our employee engagement is I will say fantastic because our people they want to do the stuff that's there and available for them you know we're very lucky as a firm we don't do volunteering days so I am very very lucky to be able to always have um, the, the opportunity to, to give fun, you know to give um, volunteering opportunities to our people and they they take it on board and they get involved and they really are willing to give their time which is effectively I think when you're looking at a law firm and you're thinking you know I want to give back I want to help out see if you can see it tangibly that they, they are doing that and that people are getting engaged right from the start I always say to even our trainees when they start the firm you can start volunteering as soon as you step through the door because your superiors your supervisors your partners etc will encourage you to do that they'll encourage you to get involved in the, the widest Carol, you've just answered a question that I was wondering in my head about, <laughs> um, which is, you know, um, how do you, how do the lawyers in firms or, or, you know, other lawyers perhaps not working in firms balance those competing interests between perhaps having a real passion and wanting to and having, you know, billable hours and things like that they have to complete, you know, I don't know if you or Robert have any sort of insight on that. Good, really, really good question, Fox. And actually, I do get this asked a lot. Um, and I always say the busiest lawyer is the lawyer that's going to put themselves up first, because lawyers understand that they need to be able to balance their workload. Lawyers are fantastic business professionals. We're fantastic at being able to balance our workload, you know, being organised, being able to balance our time. And so it's the busiest people you'll find will put their hands up first. And, th and those and then other people will follow when they see that these people are doing. But also senior people at the top put their hands up to get involved. And that encourages all the way down the line for other people to want to get involved as well. So it's it's not even a hard sell, to be honest. It's a really easy thing for me to do. And I, I, wouldn't, have, I wouldn't be so successful in my role if I didn't have the backing from the stakeholders, the senior people and all my fellow colleagues as well who want to get involved. I'd add one thing, if I may, on that one, which is only to say yes, I, and, and more f firmly emphasise that point, and that is, you know, um, the legal profession as a whole, I mean, we, there's a whole other area we can go into another day, maybe, about, you know, how there's literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of class action suits against corporate boards and against governments because of climate change, mainly being brought by Generation Y activists, quite rightly so. You know, the opportunity for the legal profession to be part of a movement to raise awareness of these issues and, and increase action and get more walk talk going on, as Carol said. And that's the other thing I wanted to add just very briefly, which is to say that the back end of Bruce's research, which I touched on briefly earlier, are the four enablers. You can find this uh, 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 if you Google um, uh, engage for success the evidence it's a document which gives you the kind of there's a lovely little uh, infographic and there's a much longer uh, report uh, you can read the detail in. and basically the four enablers of employee engagement are um, strategic narrative what is this organization for you know whether it's a, a legal practice or a client of a legal practice what's it for um, employee voice do I get heard 
you know, as, a, as an employee, and clearly in, in, in Reed Smith's case, people do, because Carol makes damn sure that they do, uh, whoever they are, and especially if they haven't been heard so much in the past, and that's what I'm loving about this. Then the next one is in relationship with your line manager. A good relationship with your line manager uh, is, is a crucial third of those four. But guess what the fourth one is? It's the say-do gap, which is back to Carol's earlier point about walk the talk. You know, if there's a gap between the say and the do, the generation wise will call you on it quite rightly. My five kids don't let me get away with a damn thing. And quite rightly so. I educated them in order to make them extremely good at being articulate and, what should I say, controversial. I don't know where they get that from. It must be their mother. Yeah. I mean, I think that walk the walk, talk the talk point is, is fascinating. And I think you can see it in all areas of within this sort of discipline when you think about it, um, you know, pro bono being quite an obvious one and one that I work in, so that springs to mind immediately. But I think you're right, it's there in diversity, it's there in governance, um, it's there in workloads, it's there in culture within firms. And from a student standpoint as well, um, a lot of the time we look to the people that we, we look for mentors and people to inspire us to do better. So I think that it's also really relevant and it's really good. Top-down approach is always the way to go. So Katie, we usually leave students with a couple of actions to do at the end of each episode. A few practical points to take away. I don't know what your thoughts were, but um, the first thing that sprung to my mind is to go on this fabulous website um, that Robert has um, been talking about, um, engage, for, engage for Success, and have a look at those four points in the evidence and read a little bit more on them and read Bruce, uh, uh, um, Bruce's research on it. I don't know if anyone had a second practical action that our listeners could take away that they wanted to share. I would say look within your local community. It's never too soon to get engaged with um, what's going on. If, you know, we talk about, we've been talking about staff engagement once you're in a law firm, et cetera, and, and, you know, doing your bit when you're in the law firm. But before that, as a student, You've got many opportunities to get involved within your local community. You know, have a look at your council by the website. They will have initiatives and stuff going on that you can also get involved in. And I think the last one I would say is in your university. What is going on in your university? What can you get involved in? How can you give back something to other students who are coming through the ranks um, that you've already passed? You know, so there is lots of opportunity as a student before you hit the workplace to get involved and do you know what it looks amazing on your cv and one of the biggest things we look at when we're looking at cvs isn't isn't necessarily what university you went to what your qualifications are what degree you've got it's what else have you done what makes you more personable what takes what makes you different from everybody else what makes you stand out and if you've got stuff that you can talk about which is different that's what that's what we look for that's what we we want to keep diversifying our law firm um, from the cultural to the ethnicity, from social mobility backgrounds, etc. But we also want to have uniqueness. And that is where you can do that by doing other things, not just doing the standards. Legal clinics. Legal clinics are always crying out for extra pairs of hands, always crying out for extra brains to help. So if you're looking for something to do, again, legal clinics. They are, they are crying out for students like you who are learning the law who are going to be in law firms in the future they could do with your help right now so that's definitely one area for you to consider and i promise i haven't paid carol to say that for those of you who know that i run a student law clinic (laughs) 
Well, on that note, I think it's a really nice thing. If I could just cross-reference a few of the other episodes that might interest the listeners um, who've been involved, uh, who, who've been interested in this topic. So we've got a fabulous episode all about clinical legal education and student law clinics. Do take a look back at that. And we've got a brilliant episode all about um, retention, not just recruitment in terms of diversity as well. So please do um, go back and have a listen to that episode if that's something that you're interested in. Yeah, and another episode that I'd say is the climate migration episode. It's a fabulous episode if you want to look broaden sort of your understanding about how the environment is impacting people in very real ways. Um, and on that note, thank you to Carol and Robert. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Uh, it's been such an insightful episode. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to Reimagine Law on all your podcast platforms and give us a follow on LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, and yeah, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.